Well, we continue our studies on a Sunday evening in Hebrews chapter 11, and we have come to verses 24 to 26. We looked at verse 23, that first uh, section concerning Moses, where it said, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. We saw faith in exercise in the parents of Moses. And now we come to Moses himself in verses 24 to 26. By faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the rewards, or as the King James Version has it, he looked to the recompense of the rewards. In the section I read to you earlier, in the life of Moses in Exodus chapter 2, it's not immediately obvious perhaps that there is a profound change that takes place in Moses somewhere between uh, verse 10 and verse 11. Uh, she called him Moses, did the daughter of Pharaoh, because she drew him out of the water. That's what the name Moses means. It means drawn out. And she brought him up. She adopted him as her son. And yet in verse 11, we find Moses now taking to himself, taking to his heart the needs of the people of Israel. There's a profound change that's come about in the life of this young man. Uh, it's, it can also be traced in Acts chapter 7 within the sermon of Stephen where he brings things about Moses into his sermon in order to make the point that he's making in his sermon. And in verses 21 and 22, he refers to the very privileged upbringing of Moses, to the very privileged education. Uh, he was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. But then we have in verse 23 this statement. Now, when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. And we're not just perhaps to see that word visit like we might think of it today. You drop in on someone's house, see how they are. But we're to think of it more in terms of perhaps the old medieval thought of a visiting cleric, visiting his people. Perhaps a bishop in the medieval church who has the visitation of his diocese. It's something quite significant. There's something here that has to be done in terms of pastoral inspection. And it's this thought that's here behind this word. It came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. And then he sees one of them suffering wrong. Now we know that Moses was a Levite by birth. He was only an Egyptian by fostering, by adoption. Uh, and we know exactly why this happened, this change. We know what's behind it because this is what the writer to the Hebrews is talking about when he says, by faith, by faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God 
than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. So these verses tell us, putting these verses together, and especially Hebrews chapter 11, these verses tell us that a change came in Moses' life, and it was a change that was the result of a choice that Moses faced up to, or we might say a decision that he made. Um, Certain theologies, uh, perhaps wary of that word decision, but let us not forget it is a word or a concept in the Bible that is, is true. Choose you this day whom you will serve, Joshua says to the people. And it's a choice that has to be faced and a choice that has to be made by each one of us as we hear the call of God in our lives. And as we look firstly at the choice here that Moses made, we see there's something of a a weighing up in his life that was going on, choosing rather to suffer affliction than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Clearly, there was a weighing up of the pros and the cons. This wasn't an impulsive decision when he suddenly began to take an interest in and to visit his people, Israel. This was the result of a, of a definite choice that he'd weighed up. He saw what was involved and he made his choice. And I put it to you that this is very much like choosing Christ. This is very much like the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, which comes to us and demands of us a choice, not some sort of impulsive, emotional, frothy decision but something that needs to be weighed up and then action needs to be taken, the right action. On the one hand, as you see in Moses' life, there are the attractions of Egypt, what he calls here the riches or the treasures of Egypt. There's Egypt, which in Moses' life stood for an awful lot. It stood for power, it stood for heritage, In his case, it stood for family. There is a tradition indeed that he was being groomed to be the one who would take over the throne of Pharaoh. Whether or not that tradition is true, clearly he was of a princely status by the upbringing that he had, learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. There was heritage, there there was education, The world was at his feet. That was on one side. And yet on the other side was the people of God. On the one side, Egypt. On the one side, a force that in the Bible stands for the world. And on the other side, we will put it today as the church, the true church, the people of God. And in this case, the downtrodden people of God, the people who were in slavery, building the pyramids, uh, making bricks without straw, uh, downtrodden and in bondage, in dire slavery. The world against the true people of God. It was a clear choice. And this is a choice that is here In our lives, 
in the world, to everyone who hears the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are reminded that there is this thing, this force called the world. It stands for human life apart from God. Human life as it's organized without reference to God. And the Apostle John makes clear what our reaction should be to the world. He says in chapter 2 of his first letter, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And then he sums up what the world is. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. There you have it. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. The appetites of the mind, the appetites of the body, uh, the uh, way in which life is sought after as a prize to build up self and sin. That's the world's. And John goes on to say in his first letter that the whole world lies in the wicked one. The whole world lies in wickedness. Now the choice before Moses was this. Either you stay as a prince in Egypt. Either perhaps if the tradition is true you come to the very throne of Pharaoh. And to this massive empire. And with all the privilege and wealth and heritage. Or you identify with the people of God, and in this case, with the very much downtrodden people of God. It was a clear choice. And it's something like the choice that we are faced with as we hear the call to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, perhaps tonight you are a little bit surprised to hear the preacher talking in terms of a choice. Why should there be a choice? Why can you not have both? That is what many would say to us. All this confrontationalism, all this black and white. Why, why think like that? This is living in some kind of uh, dinosaur world. Well, Moses knew better than that, did he not? And the Apostle John knew better than that. And he knew that you cannot have the love of the world and the love of the Father. There are two things here that just do not coexist. They are mutually exclusive. They cannot coexist. And Moses' choice was not because of some ethnic concern. It was a spiritual concern. Moses' choice was not some kind of youthful idealism. But as we've seen, it was weighed up. This is a 40-year-old man. Uh, it was a mature and thoughtful choice as he turns his back on princely status, as he turns his back on comfort and luxury and wealth and culture perhaps, as he turns his back on pleasure, whether innocent or depraved, the pleasures of sin, and as he embraces this uncertain, uncertain future with the people of God, this identification with the Hebrews, this identification with the people that were being persecuted by Pharaoh. 
with the world at his feet, he turned to Jesus Christ. That's the choice that he faced. Now let's think, secondly, concerning the obstacles that he might have had to face as he made that choice. Now I'm, I'm surmising to some extent, I'm, but I, I don't think I'm wrong. I don't think it's unlikely what I'm going to say. I think it's, it's all too likely. The first thing that might well have presented itself as an obstacle to him was this, that he could be of much more use to the Israelites if he stayed put, if he stayed there in the courts, that he could use his influence, that he could use the, the clout and, uh, and the power he had on behalf of the Israelites. And yet, quite clearly, his choice tells us this. He knew that he could not serve God in Egypt. And I put it to you, there's a lesson to us there. As each of us considers following Christ and the demand of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you cannot, if we're thinking of this term for the world, you cannot serve God in Egypt. There comes a point where you must cross a line Remember, the Apostle Paul has to remind the Corinthian church of this. He does it in both of his letters to Corinth, and he does it particularly explicitly in the second letter, where he says, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Now clearly, when we read the letters to the Corinthians, the Apostle Paul is not saying to these people that they should leave the ordinary duties of life, the ordinary responsibilities of life. He's not saying to them that you should stop eating and drinking with your family. He's not saying to them you should stop being part of a world in the sense that you have a job, you work, uh, and you're a member of society. He's not talking like that. He's talking about the world system. He's talking about an intimate yoke, an intimate connection. Not just a connection, but an intimate connection with those who are of darkness. Those whose priorities are the world. And the thought of staying put and saying, well, I'll serve God in Egypt. So I'll do whatever he wants me to do, but don't expect me to... To, to change my situation, don't expect me to change my interests and my desires, don't expect me to change how I'm using my time, how I'm using my influence, don't expect me to change, in that sense, my connections. That was clearly something that Moses did not go along with. Am I speaking to someone here who has been weighing up the claims of Jesus Christ on your life? And this thought of a decision, it makes you uncomfortable. You think, why should I make a decision? Why can't I have it both ways? Well, you can't have it both ways. 
because it's either the pleasures of sin, the passing pleasures of sin, or the reproach of Christ. It's either the world or Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible and the gospel presents to us. Then perhaps secondly, and again, I don't think this uh, this is being ridiculous, in surmising about it. Secondly, surely the thought would have come to Moses, would I be a great disappointment to Pharaoh's daughter if I take this step? Now he owed a lot to Pharaoh's daughter. It was Pharaoh's daughter really who'd saved his life. When she saw this Hebrew child in the water, she could have just said, well, turn the basket over, let, let the little thing drown. But she didn't. She had compassion on him. And she took him out. And she didn't just say, well, let him live. But she actually brought him up as her own daughter. Moses owed a lot to her. And he would have had ties of friendship and maybe intimate family ties with her. And yet he knew in this matter he had to disappoint her. In this matter, he had to go his own way. In this matter, there was a higher calling. The calling of Almighty God. And remember that this indeed is one of the fundamental loyalties that we find tested sometimes in following the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to what Christ says. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. I know on a superficial level that sounds cultic, that sounds extreme and fanatic, but it isn't something that we should look at in a superficial way. Christ did not intend that. The mere inclusion of the phrase, hating your own life also, is a clue to us that this is about heart priorities. It's not necessarily even about exiting the family home. You might stay within the family home. And yet, when it comes to priorities, your love for God is so great that any other love seems to be like a hatred. We can get the wrong impression, even through that wonderful book, Pilgrim's Progress, where at the start, you remember, he runs out of the house with his fingers in his ears as he he heads away from the city of destruction. And his wife and his family calling after him. But I dare say within the actual life of Pilgrim, within the actual life of Christian, he'd never left his house. He was still whatever he was, whether a tinker or a cobbler or whatever he was. It was to do with his priorities, his fundamental allegiances. There's the choice. Is your fundamental allegiance to Jesus Christ, or is it to whatever the world has to offer you, even if that comes through family connection? And then let's just give one more obstacle. This is perhaps a little bit more speculative, and maybe it was later that Moses discovered this, but I don't find the Israelites in Exodus chapter 2 and following particularly attractive people. I don't know about you, But when you read about them, even in that fracas that took place uh, where Moses killed the Egyptian and then he supposed that his 
fellow Israelites would understand that he was there to deliver them, that even there they showed obtuseness and ingratitude and a lack of understanding. And as you go on through Exodus, you realize that in fact, the greatest burden of all was the Israelites. They were one of the worst things he had to face. They were just a whole lot of problems. They were not naturally attractive. I dare say from growing up in the court, he would have sensed that. And yet they were the people of God. And if we can put that into New Testament terms, the Christian church may not seem very attractive from one angle, may not seem to have a lot, of, um, a lot to appeal to you in terms of culture and background, and maybe they come across somewhat as awkward and, and uh, difficult. But if Jesus Christ died for them, then that's potentially your brothers and sisters if you become a Christian. If Jesus Christ has saved them, these awkward people, these short-sighted people, these people lacking in culture and background and education, well, praise God for whatever you can bring into the pot. But haven't you got to learn to live with them and love them just like they've got to learn to live with you and love you? We're all sinners saved by grace. And this is surely part of the cost of this choice. Forsaking all that it means to be a member of Egypt. To become one of these despised people, these despised Hebrews. The choice, the obstacles. And thirdly, the result. The result of the church, of the choice. What was the result? There's no question what the result was. It was affliction. Or as the King James puts it strongly, sorry, and, and the New King James, it was reproach. Esteeming the reproach of Christ. Greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. It was shame. It was contempt. It was dislike. It was being the object of gossip. It was being the object of a hate campaign on some social media, whatever that was in the Egyptian culture. It was to be cold-shouldered. It was to be excluded. Unplatformed, they call it. That was the result. Not, well done, Moses, that's a tremendous step. What a hero you are. But because of his choice, it was reproach. Oh, how could you? That was the result. And we have to understand this, that to follow Christ is to take up your cross. Although there are many blessings involved in following the Lord Jesus, most of them are in the future. Some of them are in the present, the glorious experience of the forgiveness of your sins, the wonderful experience of God becoming your heavenly Father, and you know it. But so much else is in the future. It may lead to economic deprivation. It, may need, it will lead to social changes against you. It will lead to pressure. It will lead to misunderstanding. It will lead to the loss of certain friendships. 
In the short term, it could be really rough. Reproach. There's no way we can get around this. Follow Jesus Christ and everything will be fine. No. Occasionally, in God's goodness, things turn out wonderful. And that very quickly. But more often than not, Jesus says, in the world you shall have tribulation, and the tribulation comes in thick and fast. If you lived in a Muslim country, and you became a Christian, and you were baptized, you might find yourself within a few weeks beheaded, in certain Muslim countries at least. That was the result. But let's look at the motivation of his choice. The motivation of his choice What motivated him to make such a choice? Well, we're left in no doubt. It was by faith Moses chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. It wasn't by the works of the law that he made this choice. It wasn't by measuring himself up against some rule book and saying, well, Here are the rules. This is what I got to do to earn my way into heaven. But it was by faith. Moses, Moses of all people, took this path by faith. Moses, through whom God mediated to us the law, and who stands as the great mediator of the old covenant and is associated with that old covenant, As regards to his personal discipleship, it was by faith that he chose Jesus Christ. It's the only way. It's the only way we can really follow Christ and know Christ. We cannot earn salvation. We cannot say to God, well, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that and I'm going to lose this and I'm going to lose that. But rather... We look to what God gives us in grace and in mercy and in pity as sinners who come to him through Jesus Christ. As it says here, he did it by faith, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the rewards. The rewards. Not the reward of his works but the reward or the blessing that God gives to faith. God says, here's the gift, take it. And now I'll reward you because you've taken it. Now I'll bless you. What blessing, what what a wonderful path the gospel is. God gives us grace to trust in Christ and then he blesses us. For trusting in him. God gives us grace to turn to Christ. And then he blesses. He showers his blessings upon us. God says look it's a free gift. Your sins can be forgiven. They can be wiped out. In a moment the slate can be clean. We say thank you Lord. I take this gift. And then God pours upon us. Love and sonship. And friendship. And fellowship and adoption into his family. It's wonderful. It's blessed. So we see the choice. We see the things he may well have had to work through as he weighed up the choice and then made the choice. We see the result of his choice and we see what was motivating him. And I want to just close 
by bringing a few applications in conclusion. The first is this. If there is a choice to be made between suffering and sin, we should always embrace the suffering rather than sin. I put it very carefully. I'm not saying embrace suffering for the sake of it. That's never what the Bible says. It says love your neighbor as yourself. So you have to love yourself in order to love your neighbor. But if there has to be a choice between suffering and sin, if there has to be a choice between the passing pleasures of sin and the reproach of Christ, we should embrace the suffering. That's the call of the gospel. It's called the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Take up the cross and follow me. But secondly, this verse reminds us that both suffering and sin indeed are temporary in the sense that they are both it's both to do with this life it's the passing pleasures of sin for a season there is such a thing as eternity there is such a thing as the cessation of sin in the sense that i can just do what i want and and there'll be no consequences No, that will come to an end. God will say enough is enough and you're at the judgment seat now. Suffering in the sense that suffering that the world brings to the believer will come to an end. It's for a season. And then it's eternity. And when we get into eternity, we're in heaven One moment in heaven will make amends for all suffering. You embrace suffering rather than sin, and you may have 10, 20, 30 years of difficulty, as well as the fellowship of Christ. But then a few moments in heaven will make amends for it all. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of of thy lords thirdly just to stay as you are is not possible because that is in itself a choice Moses could have said well I don't know about this one this is a hard one so I'll just do nothing I'll just continue as the son of Pharaoh's daughter I'll just continue in Egypt it's not that I'm very happy with this but I'll just Just not take the risk. And you see, that would have been a choice. Just to stay as you are, unconverted, without following Christ, is to make your choice. Choosing affliction with the people of God rather than the pleasures, enjoying the pleasures. Notice that, enjoying the pleasures. He didn't say the pleasures of sin are horrible. He says there's a level at which they're enjoyable. That has to be weighed up. But but choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin for a season. You must choose Christ. And you must do it fourthly by faith, by faith. 
That means you've got nothing to add to the equation here. You and I have got nothing to add to it except our sin and our need and our incredible vulnerability and incredible ability to mix things up and mess things up. That's all, we've, that's all we bring to the equation. We just bring our sinful selves and our muddled selves and the knowledge that if we carry on running things ourselves, if we carry on embracing this world, then we're heading for hell. So we just bring ourselves in our rottenness, in our need, in our sorrow, in our disappointment. And we say, I'm looking to you, Jesus Christ, by faith, Moses. And then finally, it's quite clear from what is taking place in Moses' life here uh, and taking Moses as an illustration of Christian truth it's quite clear that when you choose the people of God, you become a new person. That is, when you become a Christian, you have a new identity. Now, becoming a Christian isn't just a matter of choosing the church. It isn't just a matter of coming to church. We come first to Jesus Christ. But when you choose Jesus Christ, you choose his people. And in choosing Christ, you receive this new identity. And it is wonderfully illustrated in the Christian church by the ordinance of baptism. By that ordinance in which we are submerged in the water, we go down as a picture of us union with Jesus Christ in his death and then we rise from the water as a picture of our union with Jesus Christ in his life. That's a symbol of, of a new identity. We're now identified with God. We're identified with the Father, with the Son, with the Holy Spirit. We're identified with the people of God, warts and all. That was Moses. And indeed that was the Israelites as they followed Moses, because they were all baptized into him in the cloud and all baptized him into him in the Red Sea. There was a sense in, they were, in that they were all united with Christ, they, with Moses rather, they identified with Moses as Moses identified with Jesus Christ. He had been given a new identity. He'd left that powerful family of the pharaohs. He'd left the princes and the princesses and the prime ministers and all the others, the priests and all the rest of them, and he was here looking after this motley crowd, these cantankerous Israelites, this lowly enslaved church. But he had become identified with Jesus Christ and his gospel. And the question is, would you do so? And the question, second question is, would you continue to do so? Would you continue to do so? Would you continue to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? And all these things will be added unto you. Uh, to put it rather um, in a bit of a cliche, the choice is yours. The choice is yours. May God help us each to make the right choice.